You know, my husband, he, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for your spirit to fall upon us, for your angels to sit among us. I pray that you speak directly to our hearts and our minds the things we need to hear, that we might be ready for you to come. I pray, Father, that you would give us peace in this house this morning. And I thank you so much for this opportunity to to speak your words. And I thank you so much for the two new baptisms and for, for the worship team this morning. We are looking at miracles. Thank you so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, my husband, uh, and I'm going to, all I have to do is touch it, talked about going to Romania. All of our pictures, we had a really bad camera. I'm so sorry, so they're all a little whoosh. And um, we had, it, it came because of actually a, a death that we had in our church. And the family, we had three teenagers that were killed in a horrible car crash. And then a fourth one was, fell off of a roof within 10 day time. So we, it was very hard for our community. But one of the s- children that died, uh, his family did not want money from their son's death. And so they took the money the insurance company gave them, and they asked us to do an evangelistic uh, campaign in Romania. That's how we ended up there. So we came, and my husband was upstairs, and the first night it was announced, and me, I'm trying to remember, this more? This is all hardback chairs, old chairs. Okay. The first night it was announced that I would be preaching to the children downstairs. Now, what I was told is I would be teaching an English class to him at another time. And it was also announced that the mothers could come upstairs and enjoy the sermon because I would be there. And so I now was in charge of, and this is one, and if he looks like a stinker, he was. Now multiply that to 40, 40 of them. And, uh, oops, went the other way, because I, okay. That was the group I came downstairs to. I did not speak their language. They did not speak my language. And there was a couple teenagers that came that knew a little English from school, so they said, we translate, we translate. So I knew I was a goner, and uh, so I figured what I should do is just be very demonstrative. You know, they didn't know what I was doing, but they would sit there and wonder, what is she doing, you know? And I got up and down on chairs. I, stole, I told a story about a frog, and, and uh, I screamed. I did all these things, and they sat there with their mouths open, and I found out later They said, you're not like any of our teachers. (laughs) And I said, said, how is that? And they said, they're they're military teachers. And they're, what? You did not step out of line. You could get smacked. You could get the ruler, you know, things like that. So they sat there, and I, I don't know how I did it, but I kept them spellbound with absolutely no English except for a couple words here and there. I'm sure the story suffered in translation. And within the week, I was supposed to produce this. A nice group of kids all singing an English song. (laughs) We did it, though. We did it. I think we did um, Happy, Happy Home. (laughs) I kept it simple, you know. 
But my husband, we worked really hard. He, he tried to learn the language, and he got up there every night, and now I'm going to forget, what was the word again? Shagabaga, which is a, a gracious greetings, a gracious greeting in Romanian. And he said it everywhere he went to all the churches we preached in, which was fun because later we were in Florida at a restaurant on vacation about a year afterwards, and a Romanian girl came up to us. She was waiting on our tables, and Sergio said, Shagabaga, and she says, I beg your pardon, what? And he goes, Shagabaga. And she goes, you just called me a frog's butt. (laughs) (laughs) And we both got really embarrassed, but then we very slowly looked up at each other and went, Romania, every church we preached in. (laughs) He literally called the entire audience a frog's butt, and not one person said a word to us. That's hilarious, you know. So um, we went. Well, when I was a kid, my mother always called me her gypsy girl. And a lot of times, because I liked to always put my plates on the wall, and, but she would, mostly it was because I wandered around a lot. Well, we got to go and meet the gypsies that lived in Romania. And right in the middle of this amazing architecture, this crazy history that lived in Romania, you would see this. You would see these people just driving down the street in horse and buggies. Um, And the decorations on the houses, I mean, there was a red one and there was a blue one and it was um, amazing. Oops, lost them. Okay, back one. Okay. And see the plates on the ceiling on the one on the right? (laughs) I said, I'm home. And they love plates, and and, I mean, I looked at all of those, the antique, we went, and we got to go to this man's house who was like a chief gypsy, who had fought the Romanian, the Ceausescu, under communism, had fought to be baptized because he couldn't speak English, and they said, we're not going to let you be baptized. And he said, if I can do it, in six months, he went in, and he opened his Bible and began to read to them in English. And so they're like, oh, he began to read. He was just reading. It was in Romanian. And so he, he, they let him be baptized. Well, when they found out that he didn't drink anymore because he was a real pain in the community, they came to him and said that he could baptize all of the gypsies Adventist because, because they didn't drink and they weren't doing all these crazy things. So he said, please, we want to make all the gypsies Adventist, which was So we were invited one week to preach a sermon at a gypsy church. I was so excited. And I mean, the mustaches alone, and the hats, and the women with the the scarves. And and, um, Sergio let me preach. And I went in, oh, (laughs) trying to build, Sergio trying to be the Billy Bosch. I want you to know, when we went to the, this fellow who was the king, he was telling a story about how they baptized secretly under the floorboards because there was communist spies in every church. And he talked about how they had to sneak around to be Christians and to do Bible studies. And he's telling this amazing story. 
But the women in this particular group kept giving me oranges to eat. And they were cut up, and so I'm, of course, being polite. I'm eating the oranges, I'm eating the oranges, I'm eating the oranges. And I'm thinking, what is this about? And, there's, and I finally went, you know, because <laughs> I was so sticky. I was covered in oranges. They kept bringing them. And they said, oh, oh. And they take me by the elbow, and they take me in the kitchen, and they were actually trying to kidnap me. And so they run me to another part of the complex. They have open gardens in the middle, and the houses are around it. And so we went to the women's section. I did not know there was a difference. See, oh, this is inside the gypsy church. Come on. Somebody here, please grow one of these. (laughs) Here's the women. And I think my last one is here. So after they get me to the other room, they say, we want you to pray for our daughter. And he, he said, uh, um, she goes, she's married, and she was 17, but she can't have a baby, and she's going to be thrown away. And so they bring me this tiny, cute little 17-year-old girl, and I'm just floored because I don't understand this culture. I don't understand exactly what they're trying to tell me, but I know that it's very serious. And so I begin to pray for her, and we pray. And after it was over, <laughs> you're going to like, this is what they gave me. A real gypsy plate off of their wall on my wall. And uh, they gave me two of them, and I found out later they're super old antiques. I, and, um, and I said, no, no, it's too much, it's too much. And they go, no, thank you, because you prayed over all of the women. So I make this girl that you see in front of you, and she is a gypsy. And um, we, I had preached this sermon, the sermon I'm going to preach to you today. And the women came out of the church, and they began to cry hysterically. And they were kissing me and and pointing, and I had no idea what they were saying. It was a little bit scary. And I was like, wow, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, praise God. And I didn't know what to say because I couldn't, I'd never seen a reaction like that. And so later, I met this girl, and she is a gypsy, and she's a Seventh-day Adventist gypsy. But because she's a gypsy, she can't cut her hair. She educated herself. She said, I'm so glad I'm ugly. And she was not. She said, because I would have had to get married at 14. And she goes, but I'm ugly. So I got to, she knows eight languages. She put herself through college by the computer. And she wanted to learn how to help other gypsies and gypsy women. That's my daughter over uh, next to her. And I looked at her and I kept thinking, she was so incredible, her just black eyes, beautiful eyes. And she really touched my heart, but I didn't understand why were they crying like that. And so here is the sermon I preached that day. And I will fall over this. So I'm gonna put these right here. 
And I'm going to ask if you, and uh, I'll let, I don't know, do I have anything else on here? No. Okay. I'm going to let the guys in the back are going to do that. I want to look in the book of Hosea. And I'm going to have to shorten this because we had the baptism. I don't want to wear you guys out. So here's the story of Israel as it is circling the drain. He's the last of the prophets that have come to try to save Israel from itself. And here is this young pastor, this young son of a prophet. And, and it begins, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord, and he said, and this is the weirdest thing, okay? I want you to imagine if God came to you and said this. And he began to say, go, take yourself a wife of harlotries, marry a prostitute. For the land has committed great prostitution by departing from the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived him a son. Now here's the picture, and I want you to know that he goes back and forth between this personal story of this young prophet and the nation of Israel because God is saying uh, he has a faithful husband and a wife who cannot be faithful to save her life. And God, who has been faithful to Israel, rescuing them, saving them, blessing them, and they cannot be faithful to save their lives. And here he runs back and forth. And this piece of scripture it took 40 years for him to write. So he, it goes in and out, and the scriptures go back and forth, and sometimes they repeat. So I'm skipping around to different things so I can kind of put it in order for you. And I hope you'll be patient. But it goes like this. Young pastor coming home to see his parents, wakes up in the morning and says, Dad, God told me to marry a prostitute. And he said something like, I knew Andrews would mess up your mind. And he said, I don't think so. And he goes, it was probably that pizza you ate last night. He says, no, God has called me. And so in church... At the local temple, all the girls know, ooh, that young Hosea, he's getting ready to get married, and they all get nice looking and sit on the front row. The prophet's son is coming available, and they all got the perfume on and got their little, they're coming, and they're hoping he'll look in their direction for some reason. Then there was Gomer. She had her name written on the bathroom wall for a good time called Gomer. She didn't have one slit. She had four slits in all ways, and she didn't really care. And all of a sudden, this pastor begins to be nice to her. I don't know. Did, did he send her roses? I don't know what they had out there. Chocolate crickets? I don't know what they have in the deserts. He sends her things, and she must have thought he was making fun of her. 
I'm sure she did. Oh, come on. You don't really, he doesn't really mean it. He's just making fun of me. Well, then he begins to be serious. And he asks her to marry him. And I'm pretty sure she went, this is my chance. Oh, my goodness, the pastor's in love with me. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to be the mama of the church. You know, the church mom. If she only knew. I bet she put on her Ellen G. White pioneer dress, nice black with a little white doily thing and maybe even a brooch in the middle. And she showed up trying to do the best because this was her chance to get out. So the first child she has is called Jezreel. And it even uses the word, she bore him a son. Because what comes next doesn't sound right. So he bears this Jezreel, which means God scatters, God plants, God is good. And I imagine it went good. But by the second child, he says, um, in verse 6 it says, And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, Call her Laruma, which means no mercy, not loved. And so all of a sudden, it's a kind of a weird thing that happens in here. This is when Gomer comes to church with 15 diaper bags, spit on this side, and people don't come up and say, oh, how are you? Oh, you look great. No, it's, oh, isn't that a cute kid? Wow. And all of a sudden, she's dragging all these things with her, and all the moms in the church know what that's like. Her life is a perpetual responsibility. And it tells you in this piece of scripture, it even gives you a piece of scripture. It says in chapter 2, verse, about halfway through verse 5, for their mother has played a harlot, and she, is con- she has conceived them as done shamefully. For she will go after her lovers who give me my bread and water, my wool and linen, my oil and my drink. She all of a sudden tells herself, why am I here with all this spit up and screaming and carrying on and fighting and all the things that happen? I could be out there with, those, with my old friends and we could be, I could be dressed up and looking good and they will buy me a glass of wine and whatever they did at that time. And she said, you know, this business of being married is ridiculous. And even though she has been offered this high position in the house of God, she begins to go. And she begins to seek after lovers. God even says, he prays a prayer, a hedge of thorns about her. And I've prayed this prayer for many, that everything she touches will stick her until she comes back. But she doesn't come back. And then there's this rant that God goes on. I want to tell you after it begins. Oh, no, we have to go to the third child first. Okay, and then she goes on. It says, now when she had weaned Laruhama, she conceived and bore a son. This is in verse 8. And they called his name Loami, not my child. And it went like that. He arrives at the hospital. He's so happy. He's another new daddy. 
and he opens the crib and he goes, <gasps> not my nose, not my face. This is not my child. So what does he know? He knows where she's been. He knows who she is. And God does the same thing in this chapter. He comes in and he sees in his church insecurity, arrogance. Not my children. Because when you abide with Jesus, that's not the children you have. In the church, he sees bitterness, and he knows you've been out buying up the things the world is selling. He sees envy, and he knows that you don't know how much you, he loves you because you're looking over there. And so we have this thing, and here was even worse. The nation of Israel, what happened at this point? Eight out of the 20 kings, only eight followed God. Israel and Judah had split up. They had begun, they were so enmeshed in the pagans around them, in the Assyrians and the Babylonians, that they began to do their practices, but they also kept God going just in case. And to make it short, because it's such an amazing chapter, but I will read one piece of, instead of all of them. And this is in... Chapter 4, starting with verse 5. Therefore, you shall stumble in that day. The prophet also shall stumble in the night. I will destroy your mother. Did you hear that? The prophet will, the person who's supposed to lead us to God will stumble in that day. The people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being the priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. Also, I will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people and set their heart on iniquity. And it shall be like people like priests. So I will punish them for the ways and reward them for the deeds, and they shall eat but not have enough. And they shall commit harlotries and not have children. Because they have ceased obeying the Lord, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave their hearts. And he, he begins this prophet for chapters and chapters, tells about how they're into child sacrifice at this point. The people of God are sacrificing their children. And if you think that's just something that happened a long time ago, or you think I'm just talking about these parents that sell their kids so they can get drug money, the parent who spends all of their life trying to get recognition and money and power at the loss of their children are sacrificing their children. We live in it too. We live in it too. They began to, the priests were murdering people on the way to the place where they prayed. 
Israel was so far from what God had dreamed. And they began to kill the prophets that reminded them of that. I uh, had a chance to help someone in the past couple months, and they're struggling with alcohol. And I began to, this piece of scripture came alive for me because you would go over and beg and you could see that they were dying and why wouldn't they choose and their wife leaves. Their kids are watching fighting and arguing and screaming. And they're, they're sacrificing their kids and beg and plead, please go with me. I'll drive you to the meeting. I'll take you. And to see them say no and go home and just say, should I just get up, give them up? Should I, you know, he's going to be really mad at me. And I felt what God must feel when he looks at his people and he says, I love them so much. But they don't talk to me. They don't pray with me. They don't sit with me. They have no idea what's about to happen and how I want to save them and protect them and set them up. What I want to do in a church, the things and the people that I have to send to you. But we're not with him. You know, this church is very different. I see the Holy Spirit on every corner. So I know it's, you know, I want to be careful. I don't want people who are sensitive. But there was drunkenness. There was lewdness. There was evil. There was fear. And all of these are things are not God's children. And then you have probably the most precious, precious piece of scripture in the whole Bible. If, look at this, because it's for you, it's for me. Chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went for, for them with the sacrifice to Baal's and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim. And he, I mean, the prophet says, they took a piece of wood and they carved it up and they said, what shall I do? We worship stuff too. They made a pretty idol and they say, what do you think? Where shall we go? When they had a living God walking with them, when they had a living God, they went, but they didn't want, they didn't want to give up their drinking and all their activities, so they didn't want to see God, so they killed all the prophets, because that'll fix it. And God says, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking him by his arms, and they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck, and I stooped and I fed them. And in verse 7, my people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call on the Most High, none at all exalt me. I, I, there's one, wait a minute, let's see. He has a name for them. Here it is. Well, he calls them half-baked quite a bit. He calls them a deceitful bow where they pretend worship 
but they're not. How can I give you up? Here's the heart of God. Here's the heart of God. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zimbolim? My heart churns within me. This is Jesus. This is the Savior we follow. My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger, anger, even though you deserve it. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. This is who we are following. This is why we shouldn't be caught in guilt. This is why we shouldn't be beating ourselves up, because we have a God that wants us, even when we're a mess. I will not destroy them, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come with terror. So here is the last verse of what happened with Gomer. Back in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3. And here's the sad part. It's only one sentence long, so people miss it. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. <laughs> they, God tried to save them out of Egypt. They actually at one point made a band to go back because they missed the onions. And now it's the raisin cakes. So I... I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. Thus I will also be towards you. Now this is how this story went. Gomer has left in the world to go back to her lovers that made her feel beautiful. But Satan cannot love you because he hates you. And all those things that look so pretty outside the church, they're all designed to destroy you. They might build you up in a hundred ways, but in a thousand ways they destroy you. And by the time Gomer realizes the place that he finds his wife, where do you buy people? Where do you buy people? I don't have it in America anymore, but we did. You buy them at a slave market. That's where you buy people. And he goes down there, and here comes Gomer. She comes up for bid. 30 shekels, 30 shekels of silver. Anybody? 30? That was the price, the going price of a slave in Israel. Okay, okay. She's a little old here. <laughs> kind of stupid. 20 shekels, 20 shekels. And he gets her down to half price because she's an old, dirty, filthy thing. And from the back of the audience, a voice yells, 15 shekels! And the whole audience turns to see who's going to buy this 
harlot who used to be in the house of God and threw her life away. And they look there and they see her husband. Amen. The audience laughs. The men are, look at this fool, he's an idiot. Every man in town has been around with her. Look at her, and they're laughing at him. And he keeps his eye on her. I was in, um, I wanted to buy a piece of fabric when I was overseas. And I went, and I will ask Pastor Terrence if he would come just for a minute. And we sat in a booth, and he sat across from me. And we had a piece of cloth between us. And this man sat there. And I really liked this piece of cloth. And he was pointing out all the colors and how beautiful it was. And he, I could tell he was sizing me up, American, white, going to have some money. So he's asking so much money. He, he wants 30,000 rupees, which is about eight bucks, you know, and I'm like, oh, no, 250. And he's like, no, no. I go, okay, I walk away. And he goes, wait, wait, wait. And he's going, okay, okay, okay. And he goes, $3. And I was like, okay. And he's going, oh, you bankrupt me. You bankrupt me. Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> and then we get up and I walk away. But here's the deal, thank you. This is not the cloth that Jesus bought. This is the cloth. And we sit in eternity between Satan and Jesus. And we are torn, used, we're liars, we cheat. We are committing adultery with the world. And he looks at that piece of cloth and Satan cannot imagine why. Why would God even want that? Because you see, Jesus comes across the universe and he does not see this. That's what we see. What Jesus sees is this. He sees you, he sees me, wrapped in garments of heaven, young again, he sees us filled with joy. And we answer and we say to him, you are my husband. I will never more call you a master. And he says at this point, a door of hope is open. This is the language of this Bible piece. And he says, I will heal your backsliding. I will be your king. Who else can do that? And he comes across the universe, and he walks down with Satan laughing and his demons making fun of him, and everybody else saying, why do you want those people? And Jesus comes down, and he says from the back of the crowd, not 15 shekels, I bid my blood for you. I bid my life for you. I want you. I forgive you. 
and I crown you with dignity. What a story. What a story. And now you know why the gypsies cried. Because nobody had ever told those women that Jesus loved them and they were valuable and he was coming for them. And they were crying and pointing to heaven in massive tears because as far as they knew, they were nothing to anyone. The gypsies of Romania, what I learned. And I preached so much that the music people forgot to come up and rescue me. <laughs> Thank you, everybody.